Welcome to the My Life Count Podcast, where we talk about anything dealing with mental health. My name is Jared Jones. I'm your mental health coach. And today we have a special, special guest. We have Dr. Brett Anderson. He's a psychologist in Colorado. And he's going to talk to us a little bit about this justice-involved individuals. Hope you enjoy. Get the... Yep. Okay, there we go. I got yeah the disclaimer. Knowing you are being recorded. Come right, on. right. <laughs> it has begun. Yes. Right. So, um, well, Dr. Anderson, first off, thank you so much for being on the show. I, I, I greatly appreciate it. I saw you on, um, I think it was with uh, Jim Peacock on the yep. Peak Careers. Yep. And um, when I heard you, I, and I was like, oh, man, you know, he's a psychologist. He knows what he's talking about. Um, we're dealing with mental health. I gotta have you on the show. So thank you for thank thank you for you know um, accepting the invitation. I I greatly appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, and like we mentioned before, uh, Jared, it's it's always a pleasure to be with people who are doing uh, good work and phenomenal work. And I've listened to your podcast, so I know you're doing that work, and and I really appreciate it as well. So thank you for having me on, and I'm honored to be with. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, awesome. Thank you. Thank you. So, um, you know, the listeners know know me, but tell them a little bit about yourself. Yeah. Um, well, I started my journey in this endeavor, in this world, um, after I uh, was mobilized to Desert Storm. I was in the Army for 12 years. Oh, wow. I was a combat medic, yeah. And uh, I was... Um, I enlisted in 1982. I just now people can you know start calculating my age, and that's cool. <laughs> I like being as old as I am. But uh, I went to straight army, and I was a combat medic, and uh, so I did active duty. And then, um, and then I, I got out of my first tour. I went to the reserves because the whole reason for going on active duty was so that I could go to school, right? The old Montgomery GI Bill. <clears throat> I wanted it to pay for for my schooling. Well, I did that. I accomplished that. I was starting. I went to CU University of Colorado, and um, I was progressing well, um, doing great in school. I was in my last semester when Desert Shield happened, which was which was mm-hmm. October of 1989. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that very next month, my only brother, my only sibling, um, he was killed in a traffic accident. Oh, um, wow. He was he was a passenger in a vehicle. It was November nineteenth, nineteen eighty nine, and I had um, a reoccurrence of some of the the post traumatic stress that I experienced in my military um, uh, experience. And wow. like most military people, we were taught to suppress that emotion, suppress that you know, suppress the the uh, the, the traumatic and uh, mental health consequences associated with with that condition and so i i suppressed it and i said okay i I don't have to deal with this stuff well when my brother's death happened it all resurfaced and you know i had a mental health crisis and and i was dealing with things that i didn't know how to deal with because my brother stolen my identity he had had gotten a car in my name uh, um an uh, apartment in my name. He had wow. taken loans out of my name. Um, he had a duplicate driver's license with my name on it. Wow. Yeah, the rumors were that he was coming back the same night that he um, was killed, that he was coming back to murder me so he could live as me, basically, because oh, wow. he had been incarcerated. Yeah, he had been incarcerated um, 
on larceny charges and, and uh, uh, a violent offense. He had beaten a, a man comatose. Um, my brother was, yeah, he was a, he was an interesting human being, intelligent brother, um, good man, but overall he had some troubles. So that pushed me, you know, to a point where, okay, I, I, knew, I knew I needed some help, but I didn't get the help because I got mobilized to Desert Storm or Desert Shield actually, and then it became Desert Storm. Mm -hmm. So I had to, I had to delay my, um, um, you know, my any type of therapeutic uh, assistance. Right. <clears throat> and, um, and then when I got back, uh, I just had to fin. I, I I was dedicated on finishing school because they took me out of the last semester of my college, so I was dedicated to finishing school, which I did, and then I moved on with my life. And I just thought, okay, you know, I can get through it like most people do. Well, it resurfaces, you know, and in, in all kinds of situations. Right. Um, and I finally dealt with the, you know, I dealt with my brother's death at that time as well, and so I had to understand the emotions that I was experiencing and to let them out. Um, mm -hmm. And when you're in the military, you know, you're taught to suppress, you know, the fight or flight syndrome right. mechanisms. Right. Well, we're taught to fight. And that means that you must suppress any fear or anxiety and do your job. Mm -hmm. um, the life expectancy of a combat medic in a, in a combat situation is about 32 seconds. Goodness gracious. Yeah. Wow. And that's well. That's longer than some wow. other folks. Just the radio man was like fifteen seconds. I was like, okay, cool. I ain't gonna stand next to him. <laughs> that brother's going. He's going down. <laughs> so. Oh so, wow. So wow. I'm gonna try to. Yeah, but and back in my day, you know, the Geneva Convention forced you to wear those uh, the, the the red cross. Like, uh huh. Right. Right. And uh, <laughs> my squad leader was like, "Take that thing off, man." And I'm like, "What?" I was supposed to. He said, "Take it off," because you know that makes you a target. The target. So yeah. Was, that's right. Yeah. So I learned how to how to blend and merge, and you know how to be uh, more more. Uh, um, uh, how do I say this? Um, clandestine. And uh, helping these yeah. individuals to just, uh, you know, do my work. But all that combined, you know, pushed me into a point where I said, okay, this is, this is unique. And, you know, as an African-American male, I grew up in the city of Denver. And it was a stigma to admit that you have a mental health issue. Right. <laughs> right. Right. Like, like you know, if, if, you, if you admit mental health as an African-American male, you're broken. <laughs> you know, you ain't mm -hmm. never gonna get a date, and right, you can't get a job. Right, <laughs> right, right. And I started saying, "Hold up," because I look. The, those are the nice terms. That, that's, that's the right. Nice way of putting it, right? <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Well said. So I said, "Okay, I gotta figure out, you know, how to how to, how to make this work for me." So I learned everything I could about the world of employment, because mm -hmm. employment really helped me overcome it. Employment became my um, how you want to call it? It became my respite away yeah. from it yeah. and I, I found that if I dove into the things that I really wanted to do and I was I was fortunate to be able to find something that I really that really resonated with my character and who I was mm -hmm. um I said that if I dive into this type of stuff I don't have you know the psychological pain that, that I experienced mm -hmm. it, it just it was diluted I didn't understand it but I just did it so I dove in and mm -hmm. uh um, became really successful. Um, I, I became a national trainer. Um, I got my master's degree in interpersonal communication. I started working with people, trying to help them improve their relationships because you know, relationships were always falling apart in my life as well. Right. Um, right. And so, uh, 
And then I got my doctorate in psychology and I realized that, okay, there's a population of individuals, veterans and incarcerated individuals who I had been sort of on the margins of my entire life. Right. That, that, that really need to be aware of this assistance and then how do they get it and how can they use not only uh, therapy, but employment as a way to decay some of the, 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 the um, you know, the neuropsychological changes that your brain goes through, the morphology shifts that your brain goes through when yeah. you um, suffer trauma. Yeah. 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 So wow, that's what got me to where I'm at, man. <laughs> wow. Wow. Hopefully that wasn't too long a story. No, 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 <laughs> no. But, you know, that, that was, that was a beautiful story. I mean, it's like, you know, I think so many people um, who are in the field get uh -huh. in the field because they have been affected. Right. Yeah, that's right. And, and so it's, it's, it's almost, I know for me, and it sounds like for you, but I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it's, um, I know for me, a lot of the things I've done has almost been therapeutic for me to help yeah. others, you know, to yep. help others go through what I've gone through. You know, it's like, it's therapeutic for me. So mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. in, in a, in a way it's a part of my self care. It's like, I'm gonna help Amen. you to help me. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. And, and you know, what, what is the, the old axiom uh, therapist, you know, help thyself. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. One of the things of going through a doctorate program, and I know you you had to go through this, you know, if you're a licensed counselor or a licensed therapist, you better know yourself because when you're dealing with people, they might trigger some things inside you, you know, <laughs> that make you start shitting all over them and makes you start judging them. You know, that's the last thing you want to do in this profession. So yeah. yeah, I had to learn a whole bunch about myself. It was painstaking. It was, it was, it was arduous. But you know, overall, um, like you just mentioned, it is therapeutic to help other people and to realize that, okay, yeah. you know, yeah, yeah, you, you couldn't pay me enough money to do this. In fact, you could, I could go broke and I still want to do this <laughs> because this kind of work really edifies me as a human being. And I think that's our, our job yeah. as humans to, is to love each other, not judge each other. So absolutely. Now I did want to clarify one thing. I'm not licensed, right? I'm not. Oh, okay. That's I'm, all right. I'm not like, but, but, um, you're 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 absolutely right like i think a lot of people in this field they yeah. help they, whether you're getting paid for it or not you, it's almost like uh um it's a natural thing for yeah. people in the field who really care it's like you're already giving back so it's a blessing yeah. to do something it's it's almost like you know the thing that you that you would do for free right <laughs> yeah. like you're already doing it so and now you, right. now you get to be paid to do that's it. Right. It's, it's, that's it's, right. it's a blessing. It's a blessing. Well, absolutely. And I, I know that we're going to put a cap on this, this part of the conversation, but Jared, um, most of my colleagues are not licensed no. um, because oh, they wow. find that the life, well, because they find that the licensing process um, restricts much of the work that they can do. Yeah. I, I thought so, I was so, by myself. <laughs> oh, no, you're not by yourself in any of it at all. Yeah. Because, you know, most of the, yeah. most of the colleagues that I work with, um, you know, that they have self-pay clients. Yeah. Um, you know, when you're licensed, mm -hmm. obviously you can take on uh, Medicaid, Medicare, you know, you right. have an insurance process, but that is, you know, that's encumbering <laughs> because now you're a licensed therapist. Oh my gosh, I must really be crazy because I got to see a licensed therapist. <laughs> People start saying, especially in the African yeah. And so, um, so yeah, uh, you know, 
I don't want to define our work by the, you know, the system, by the structures that the system has put around it. Cause I think that's one of the burdens that the system provides. In fact, I heard you talk about this. Yes. Um, we don't, you know, when you, when you talked about the uh, world health organization definition mm -hmm. of mental health, yes. you said, you said something that I thought, okay, this makes sense. He said, that's everybody. You said, that's everybody. <laughs> and I said, he has never been more accurate. No man has ever said something more pertinent. Wow. That yeah. is everybody. But the it key is. is, there are some people, and I think this population that we're going to talk about, where there is some real uniqueness, there's a specialness to how we work with this group, that yeah. you know we need to do this. Because you talked about self-awareness and resilience and being able to, 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 to get to that space they need help this group that we're going to talk about really needs help absolutely absolutely <clears throat> yeah. um so okay so let's 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 get into this group let's get into this group um and one thing um starting off is the labels okay yeah. <laughs> because um <laughs> we're we're gonna we're gonna talk about um people who've been incarcerated right yeah. and you have an interesting term and yeah. I don't really know. Well, I, I, I heard you um, um, on a live where you explained it a little bit, but how did you come up? How did this term come about? And well, what is the term? How did the term come about? And what, what's the importance of it? Well said. Um, I, that's a great question to start with. The term is justice involved. And I use the term citizen. Justice. Some people say individual or person. But the, the term evolved from the reentry council under Barack Obama. Remember, um, he and okay. um, um, who's the uh, attorney general at the time, Loretta Lynch. Yes. The, yeah, they had put together the reentry council and they decided that uh, the term that was more PC, and, and I don't like to use the term PC, but I think it. I think it's more appropriate for this group because um, the term justice involved was more inclusive rather than restrictive. And what do I mean by that? Individuals who are incarcerated um, have been labeled as offenders or felons or convicts mm -hmm. or um, um, inmates or, or even even some more or, or even some less um, pejorative type terms like resident, those type of things. Right. Um, which, which well, are all the terms that we're all familiar with, right? Oh, yeah, 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 right. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of in the mainstream. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so the listeners and everybody, is, they, they're going to they're going to gravitate to those terms. Right. You got it. So you got it. So, yeah, when, when we I we shifted to the term justice involved citizen, because number one, these people are citizens for the most part of the United States of America. There are some who are not. But for the most part, these individuals are citizens and the reclaiming of their citizenship is um, important and it's an important milestone in their lives when they're recapturing who they are and their identity. But more importantly, the term offender is a descriptor because that's the more common sort of mainstream term offender mm -hmm. of all those labels. Um, that term is a reminder of what they did, not who they are today. And so justice involved is a way for us to, to, to uh, mitigate that term, push it to the side and say, okay, let's move forward. Let's move toward where you're going, not where you were. Yeah. And um, it, it helps, it helps restore hope because, you know, we talked about the stigmas that go on and obviously this stigma is very um, powerful and abundant, 
but it restores the hope in the individual that they can recover. They can right. get back into society and become right. a full citizen and, um, and, and basically have reached atonement for what they did that was a breach of trust in our society. That they, can, that they have hope that that can happen. And in the employment arena, I don't think there's any more important way to, to overcome that than, than to give them that, that the hope that this can happen. Absolutely. So that's why we use the term. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, not only, I mean, it, it's definitely necessary in employment, but mm-hmm. e- even in your everyday, in everyday that's life, right. people are constantly <laughs> reminding you of what happened or what you did previously. It's like, it's almost like we have this idea that there's certain things that you can never recover from. There's certain things that you can't, mm-hmm. You know, like we don't grow, we don't evolve. You know, we don't. With whatever I did, and thank God, um, I'm 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 not held back to what I was doing as a teenager. But you know, but but yeah. whatever I did, you know, 10, 20 years ago, that you know, I can't be. I always have to be reminded of that, and I I can never move forward. And so, well so when I heard when I heard that term, justice involved, I'm like, wow, yeah, that's you know, that's, first off, I was like, that's somebody who is tuned in to that mm-hmm. community. Mm-hmm. That's somebody who understands what it's like to be called something, to be labeled something, and to realize that I'm not that anymore. You know, that's something I did, but that's not who I am. And I don't want to constantly be reminded of what I did as if that's mm-hmm. who I am. And well so, said. and so when I, when I heard that, I said, wow, wow, that justice involved, that's, I mean, and, and it's funny because it's, it, 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 it's, it's, it's always, to me, it seems like it's always the little things. It's, it's the little things that make the big changes. Mm-hmm. And that, and that's one thing, because I always say that I, labels are extremely important. They are very important. Yes. And, um, I think the most important words in the world are the words that follow I am. And so when you say I am a sex offender, then it's like, mm-hmm. you're nothing else, but, Correct. you know, Correct. And so, and those labels are, are, are hard to, to live down, you know, in our, in, in our society. And so I think it's a great thing to, to look at changing that, changing, yes. the, even changing the terminology that we use. Yes. Yes, the paradigm shift is is the most important thing that can ever happen, and I'm fully yes. with you. When you say "I am," and it's not your name, it's something. Right. It's a label, <laughs> right? <laughs> you right. in trouble, right? Because yes. I, you know, I, I was an athlete in my day, and I remember brothers saying, "You know, I am a football player." But a lot of guys, they played football, but they didn't want to be defined by that. Exactly. And exactly. yeah, because football's not their dad or you know their parent. It's like, no, it was just something I did that I was good at and I enjoyed. But yeah, I'm more than that. And so you find a lot of people trying to burst out of these labels. So yeah, yeah, you're yeah. right on point with what you're saying. That paradigm shift is valuable. Awesome. So so what are other uh, okay, so next to the labels, what are some other uh, mental health concerns that you see with this mm-hmm. this population? Wow, that's, uh, you know, mental health is such a, like you've, you've 
accurately and I think eloquently described throughout your, you know, the, your purpose here. Um, it's not just individual, it's systemic, it's cultural. And so um, a lot of the things th that, that are uh, troubling with just the mental health issue itself is acknowledging that, okay, I got a mental health issue. Well, what is that? Because everybody's going to go to the extreme, right? Like you said, sex right. offender. as soon right. as you say sex offender, what do people think? You're on 2020, you're, you know, you're trying to rape a 15 year old. And, yeah. Whoa, you know, that, that's not the vast majority. You're a pedophile. That is not the majority. The vast majority of those sex offenders are the very complicated issues. It could be just something as simple as a public order def uh, offense where you were 17 or 21 and you were drunk. Mm -hmm. Yeah, with your friends and you decide to urinate in the park and the park happens to be an area where kids are playing. Wow. And now, and now you're labeled as a sex offender because you're exposing yourself. Okay, hold <clears throat> hold, hold, hold on, hold on, yeah. hold on. Okay, so yeah. you mean to tell me I, I could be 21, yeah. I, was, I was drinking, so now I got to use the bathroom. Mm -hmm. I go to the park because there's kids there. Now I'm a sex offender. No, no, kids don't even have to be there. It's a park where kids play. It's an open wow. public area where kids play. And because you were doing it in that area and the potential that kids might have been there was there, it's, you know, that public order offense might include the fact that, okay, now you're exposing yourself <laughs> and wow. you know, from the children, and now you're labeled a sex offender and you got to register as a sex offender going forward. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Imagine that. It, you, you know, I know, you know, that hasn't even crossed my mind. So mm -hmm. I, I know that a lot of people, you know, because when, when you're thinking of like where you're going to move and and, yeah. you know, you, you're looking at like, OK, how many sex offenders are in the area? You're not yep. thinking about you're not thinking about, OK, how many of these sex offenders just took a piss in the park and <laughs> and, you know, are now labeled that you're thinking the worst. Right. That's right. You're, right. you're thinking, hold on, I have, I got a daughter in the eighth grade. I need to make sure that, you know, That's there's right. no sex offenders around. That's right. And you or a son, or even, a, you know, or a, son. Or a son. Right. Yeah, because that happens quite a bit to them too. I mean, imagine having to explain, you're, you're in your 30s, right? And you have to explain in an interview why you got a, a background and you got to tell that story. Wow. It's a, like you said, it's a constant reminder. You're defining me by what I did right. at an age that I didn't, that I am no longer. My identity is not even associated remotely with what that, with who I was at that time, but it's a, it's a consistent and continual reminder of what I did, not who I am. Right. That's wow. the power of a stigma, man. That's the power of a stigma. And it's, you know, <laughs> you got to have some strong mental resilience to overcome it. Right. You do. Wow. Yeah. You know, I, I've I've often said like being in a hospital that um sometimes we 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 forget about the we're, we're so focused on the patient that we forget about the person. Well and it's like, you know, oftentimes we're 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 forgetting about the person. We're sticking to this label. And right. that and that label we I don't I don't think we're realizing, and I don't know if it's if it's I, it's definitely not healthy for the individual, but I don't know if it's healthy for us as a society, you know, to, to be in fear of these people who are, you know, who, who had a situation years ago 
And now it's like, okay, well, I have to, you know, be be afraid of this sex mm-hmm. offender. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's it's I don't know if it's healthy for us. It makes us kind of live in fear of, cer- of certain yeah. individuals. Yeah. Yep. I agree with you 100 percent. I think it causes mental health issues. Um, yeah. You know, stigmas. I think that's what they do. That's why when you said, OK, what else can this can this bring? You know, how does this affect us? Well, it affects us culturally, like you're saying. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the cultural element of this is so um ubiquitous that sometimes it, it's invisible and we don't really know it it's unconscious <clears throat> but when it hits it's powerful and um, that's why unconscious bias and understanding that especially in, in, in from the employment side of the, of the of the world is really really important if you're going to do work for this community because yeah. a lot of employers are not actively going out saying well i ain't gonna hire somebody who did that no, I mean, come on. They right. most people are looking for talent. They're like, okay, let me see, let me see what you got. Let me, let me talk to you. Right. And then all of a sudden, when you have to bring up something like, like what we just described, mm-hmm. their unconscious biases, the right. things that that they're exposed to through media or life experience or just you know vicarious learning, it hits them. And right. oftentimes they don't know what to do with that. I mean, who knows what to do with something like that? Like, what? I, right. I didn't even know that that caused, you know, irrational fear in me. Um, right. And 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 what do most people do? They do they do what Adam and Eve did when they were discovered. Oh, they hide. <laughs> that's right. They shame, man. Yeah. <clears throat> and you know that's never a good idea when when an employer who's seeking to hire you is not going to talk to you again. That means you ain't gonna get the job, man. That means that it's not it's not gonna happen for you. Right. It's a bad situation. Yeah. Right. And, and you know, I would part of me hopes that the employer would feel some kind of would would at least be in a situation where they have to it where's the struggle, right? Where hopefully they don't hear certain terms is just like, oh yeah, I can't do that. Hopefully they hear certain terms is like, you know what, but this is a good person. Mm-hmm. But, but, but if I hire this person mm-hmm. and everybody else know or finds out or whatever, because at least that means that we're at least heading in the right direction. At least we'll be becoming aware that this mm-hmm. is a problem. Mm-hmm. But if, if, if we're just hearing certain terms and like, oh no. And it's like, <laughs> we don't even realize we we don't even realize that that's a problem that's right that if you are you are speaking the gospel and that's oftentimes i I tell you in the cases that i deal with and um i would say that that's the 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 overwhelming majority of the situations are that the employer is saying i want to find a way to bring somebody but we've got this policy that says we can't do it for example um the the hotel industry where you know a lot of folks get entry-level employment. It's not hard to get entry-level employment in that arena, but if the hotel says, well, we don't hire, you know, people who have a felony conviction, mm-hmm. well, then you, you don't even, yeah, they don't even get a shot. They don't even get a chance. Well, no, they don't get a chance. Well, <laughs> you know, so then where are they supposed yeah. to go? You know, what are they supposed to do? How do you know the character of this individual like you just described? Yeah. All you know is, is is what the record says, but you don't know the character of the individual. So how, how do you really know if this person is not going to be a good fit for you? Right. They don't. And and so therefore they're excluding. And 
<laughs> contemporarily speaking, in this age where we are now in a great resignation, it's specifically in the hospitality industry, mm-hmm. you cannot afford to be <laughs> excising certain groups out because of this or that. <laughs> oh no, we gotta cut this group here. We gotta cut that group. There. You know, pretty soon you ain't got nobody to pick. You don't have nobody, right? That's right. right. And right. that business needs labor. It is yeah. not a highly technical business. It is a labor business. Right. So, yeah. Right. So we, we, we got to be aware of that. Can you, Can you speak a little bit about um, it, what What does it What does it mean to a person? Because uh, you, you mentioned this earlier w- through your journey. What does it mean to a person to be able to have a job? What does it mean to their mental health to be oh, able wow. to have to, to have a job? <clears throat> okay, so let's talk about mental hygiene. So because you, you talk about mental health and I'm just going to mm-hmm. bring a new term in hygiene. Okay. So from, from, a, from, a, from an employment perspective, now these studies have been carried on since the 30s. Mm-hmm. There are certain things that, that, are, that are hygiene related and certain things that are motivators of the, in the, in, for the individual or incentives. Yeah. So hygiene means things that have to be there. They've got to be present mm-hmm. in order for a person to feel like, okay, I belong or I fit or you know, this, this matters. Yeah. One of those hygiene issues is salary, money. Right. Money, money is a motivator only until you make enough where it's no longer a motivator. Right, right. And so it becomes a hygiene issue, right? If I make enough money, it ain't about the money anymore. It's about something else, right? right? Usually it's the supervisor. So from a mental hygiene standpoint, employment for this population says, I belong. And for a male, and I'll be be more specific about males, Mm because it says the same for, for females, but for males, who are gendered into believing that I am valuable because I can support my family, because I can, you know, I can um, bring in income enough so that my family doesn't have to struggle. Right. That is a powerful, powerful, um, um, not only motivator, but a hygiene issue that says, okay, I have identity. And I always use the example of guys who are at parties and you know, they're trying to get a date. And what's the first thing somebody asks you, you know, when you're trying to date them, what do you do? You do. Yeah. Yeah. And the minute you start saying, well, see what happened was, and, <laughs> you know, like I'm kind of in between. They run You're not as attractive some... anymore. <laughs> that's, that's right. That's right. That's like yeah. having a, a 420 credit score and you're on, you know, eHarmony. You ain't, you ain't going to get a date. Right. It's not going to happen. <laughs> so that's one of those identity things that happen in our community that, okay, that says you fit or you belong or that you yeah. have purpose and value. And so from a hygiene perspective, it's not just the dignity that work brings, it's purpose, it's identity, it's value, it's I belong, I fit. And so if I'm not able to get it, and I'm going to look at the counter perspective, if I'm not able to get it because I got this stigma, mm-hmm. then all of a sudden that's telling me that I'm, what's the point? Right. <laughs> why do I, yeah, why do I even want to try to do legitimate work anymore? Because if they're doing, if they don't want me, if this, if this, systemic or institutional um, system doesn't want me and I don't belong, then why should I try to fit its criteria in order to do so? I'm just going to operate on the other side of the world where I'm not doing W-2 work, 
right. I'm doing right. stuff that, right. that I do fit, you know, that brothers who love, you know, who show me love, even though I think it's a perversion, you know, how some of the, some of the, some of the love that they do show, but they feel like I, I fit in that community. So why do I need to be concerned about doing this other stuff? I mean, we, right. we know, obviously you don't want to be incarcerated. That's no place to be. You don't want to be running from the law. Fugitive life is not a good life. But if that's where you think you fit, you're going to have a real hard time finding um, symbols in the W-2 side of the world that says, oh, okay, that's me. I, I, can, I can resonate with that. I, I, can, I can get with that. Right. It's going to be a struggle to find those types of things. So we've got to help these individuals find ways to say, okay, this is where I fit. And this is what I really like doing. Now, let me see if I can get a chance to do those types of things. Right. Purpose. Right. You, purpose. you, you mentioned purpose, yeah. but it's, all, it's also that sense of belonging. Right. Yes. I don't I don't yeah. belong to this W2 crowd, this, <laughs> well this, you know, this this street crowd or this whatever, you know, even it, though it is a perversion, at least they accepted me for who I am. Right. And well it's said. like you're right on point. And and unfortunately, it's like I'm almost being pushed that way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so, mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, because I, I think, you know, we will. And, and, and well, I I know I didn't put this in the questions, but I'm kind of. Okay. <laughs> but but, um, you know, I think it's, a, it's almost like a natural instinct for survival. Yes. Right. And yes. so if 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 this group is not gonna is this if this group is not gonna accept me naturally i'm gonna gravitate to the to the best possible answer right yep. whether it's a gang whether it's wh whatever yep. it yep. is i'm gonna gravitate there because i see a way to survive there bingo bingo yeah you, you've tapped into the human social code and that's that's fuck it and it's yeah. it's a it's an acronym that, that that we use, you know, belonging, understanding, um, control, trust. And if you get all that in the community that's not W two, mm -hmm. well, hello, that's where you're gonna be, man. That's where you're gonna be. Right. And and it makes total sense. I don't ever disparage someone for wanting to do that. The right. problem is, is that because it's counterculture, it's not pro social. It's counter social. Right. <laughs> you've got all these other barriers that you got to try to fight through to get there. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. It's yeah. Unfortunately, unfortunately is for them, it's kind of a lose, lose, you know, and, yeah. and, and it's, and, it's, and, and our society has set it up that way. Unfortunately. Well said, very well said. That is, it is by design. I agree. Yeah. It is by design. Yes. So let me ask you this. Um, this, <laughs> Obviously, these last two years we've had COVID, right? Yes. <laughs> and 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 I I don't know that I don't know anything about this this what you're gonna say on this answer. Um, when it, <laughs> when it comes to this population, I I noticed when I was in the hospital, um, I I, I it it was um it was a joke amongst me and me and the patients, but um early maybe two thousand late 2020, late, wow. late 2020, I, I had what I, what I call my first COVID class. Okay. And, and what I meant by that is, um, everybody in there, um, I was doing inpatient and everybody in there 
was there strictly specifically because of COVID. They've they've yeah. lost their job because of COVID or whatever. It was all all of them were was COVID related. And um, back then I was saying, you know, we haven't seen the effects of COVID, mm-hmm. the mental health mm-hmm. effects of it. Mm-hmm. You're right. And I'm wondering with with our Justin's involved population, how does COVID or how has COVID mm-hmm. affected them? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And at first I, when I got this question, I was like, okay, this is, you know, this brother, he's, he's on top of it. Um, if you are in a system of incarceration, a jail or prison, federal or state, you are going to be exposed to COVID at a higher rate. Mm. Um, COVID, it, it not only hit um, the senior citizens' homes, but it hit prisons and jails very, very hard. And so many of the individuals who were inside acquired COVID. Um, We don't know what the, um, we we can't really necessarily pinpoint the statistics associated with that. Like how many of them actually got COVID, how many of them recovered, how many of them passed away. Right. Um, But we have have an aging population in our prisons, but in our jails, it's, it's the, the churn is just a lot more indicative of all generations. Mm -hmm. So when you come out of, of a, correctional environment um number one you probably have already had covid you may not have been vaccinated um and you know triple vaccinated with the booster and all those kind of things so and and you may be more um inclined to wear a mask um or maybe less inclined to wear a mask depending on your um affiliation of who you were inside the prison or the jail with so what what i'm getting at there is this you have a stigma of a, of a felony conviction, but you also, or arresting, because you know you don't always get a felony convicted if you're in jail. Sometimes it's just arrest, or most of the times it's just arrest. But you have that stigma, that social stigma. Now you have the stigma of COVID, because COVID's been politicized, and masks have been politicized, and vaccines have been politicized. Right. Right. And so now you've got a dual stigma to 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 manage and address. And if you have, um, you know, if the morphology of your brain is shifted because of the trauma that you've experienced, not only as a, a child or through the experience of, of incarceration, you're just more likely to have a high, heightened anxiety. Mm-hmm. And um, many of the individuals who go through this, because they're not getting a steady in, uh, income, they can't get medications. So that's a big problem. You know, guys getting out and, and they can get their meds inside, but once they're outside, it's a three-month waiting list or four-month waiting list. Um, you know, getting getting Medicaid is is problematic, like I'm sure you you yeah. know. Yeah. So so they're going unmedicated. They have high anxiety. I don't know anybody who can work. <laughs> um, you know, who can right, find work, right. you know, while they got all this other stuff going on. Right. Yeah. Right. And so what, what do we do? We self-medicate. We, we resort to self-medication. And then, you know, and, and self-medication is readily available. Right. I can't get prescribed meds, but I can get that other stuff <laughs> real quick and easy, especially in Colorado. Oh, wow. <laughs> you know, yeah, we have decriminalized. <laughs> and we were the leaders in that endeavor. So I can yeah. find anything I want to, to try to edge you know uh, dull the edge of the sharpness of that anxiety so wow his, okay never sidebar real quick <laughs> um, has, has that been a good thing for for 
That's a great question. Good and bad is probably um, not okay. the space we want to be in. But I, I think okay. has it been something that's been harmful to um, employment? Um, mm. Most employers have, especially in, uh, entry level employers in okay. the Denver metro area, have you know they have learned how to say, okay, we can we can manage up to a certain number as long as you can perform the essential functions of what we're asking you to do and meet the, the four uh, evidence-based work ethic principles, which are showing up to work on time, mm-hmm. being at your workstation when you're scheduled, mm-hmm. getting along with the people who already work here right. and following your supervisor's instructions. If right. you can demonstrate that on a 30-day basis, because that's typically kind of the probationary period, the observation probationary period, may not be the official one, but that's the observational probationary period. Mm-hmm. If you can perform that, all of a sudden you're advancement material <laughs> because, <laughs> you know, because everybody else is standing behind you in, in that line, right? Right. If right. I want one of those one of those principles, and my 17 year old is is a he's, he's the um, I think he epitomized it. COVID, he got a job in high school making twenty five dollars an hour, mm-hmm. being doing valet work for the people for people who are doing the drive through vaccines. Uh-huh. Right. So wow. then he got it through a friend. He got it through networking, which yeah. is what how most people find work. Right. So I'm thinking, well, that's pretty cool. My son's making good money, 17 years, you know. Yeah. I said, and then uh, I said, so how are they liking you there about about 20 days in? He said, Dad, they love it because I show up to work on time. I'm always here. And I said, You meet those four basic. I said, they gonna promote you. <laughs> as soon as I said that, he said, Well, I don't want to get promoted and he quit. <laughs> that's <laughs> That's the seventeen-year-old brain right there. I don't want no more work. I'm good with. Yeah, no, yeah, that's right. I'm good. Nah, I don't want to do that. <laughs> I don't want to work full. I want to live off your money, Dad. <laughs> you know? That's too much too but, soon, Dad. Too much too soon. Too much too soon. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> that would cause him to have anxiety. But overall, he, he demonstrated, you know, the efficacy of, of, of that principle. That hey, if you can do this, you can overcome these stigmas. You can overcome, you know, this other. Um, these these um, social um, uh, uh, labels that we put on people. The right. problem is, can you get an opportunity to do so? Like I said, networking, right? right? Networking right. is the number one way to find high quality employment. You know, who are you networking with when you're when all all everyone around you in your community and everyone around you in your social um, system and your safety nets are doing the same things that you were doing that got you. <laughs> right inside right. the system right so and then when, that means you gotta yeah go and then and then when you meet somebody new you gotta say hey hi my, you know my name is jared i'm a felon <laughs> and it's like, yeah, like that's oh. not a, that's not a good way to introduce that's too much too soon bro like you said too much too soon <laughs> I wasn't ready for that. Right, right, <laughs> right, right. Well, I know, I know we're gonna be we're gonna be wrapping up. One yeah. last question: if, if if the community could do anything to to help to resolve, you know, um, to ease concerns, what what would that be? The the, the I'm not gonna be as broad. Um, as maybe the question might have implied, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna be more specific about the employment community. Okay. Um, so the employment community itself can be, um, can have better results if they, if they do two things. Number one, they assess who is a core 
employee within their organization. And what do I mean by assess? Not only, um, there's these things called employer fit algorithms out there. That's one of my specialties because it was a dissertation approach that I took employment retention for this population is one of them. So an employer fit algorithm just means that there's this, there's this process, there's these formalized tools out there that assess individuals based on certain criteria patterns or um, how is someone going to act when they get in the workspace? Mm-hmm. Because today it's not necessarily about doing the job because technology can really help us do most of our work now. Mm-hmm. Do you get a chair manager within their unit, within their space? And so we have to learn how to use these formalized tools to help predict who's going to be a better employee. But um, being able to get easy, intuitive access to those tools is is really the most important piece of this for me. And um, how do we make that accessible? It's already accessible for C-suite employees, those who are at the executive level. How do we make it accessible for the people who are doing the work so that productivity can not only maintain, but can actually grow and elevate. So if, if the employment community really wants to be more inclusive, you know, the DEI, uh, uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion uh, concept, if they want to be more inclusive, then get more engaged with employer fit algorithms and um, indices, because that will allow you to look past signals and just look towards, hey, I can better predict how this person's going to act compared to, compared to who's already here. And if I'm bringing in somebody who's, who can fit much easier, then first of all, that's less taxing on me as, as, a, as a supervisor or as a leader. Right. But number two, it's going to improve morale, which is going to improve productivity. Right. So that's right. how I'd say we can get better at it. And I know that may have been a it may not have been an answer that that was easy to digest but no 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 look that that was perfect (laughs) dr anderson i greatly appreciate a all the work you're doing and your time thank you thank you for this anytime and um look uh i look forward to talking to you again man i appreciate you i'd love to do it again i'd love to do it again i think this was fabulous and we have a lot more to talk about, obviously. Absolutely. <laughs> but, uh, Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, awesome. You got it, bro. It was a pleasure seeing you, meeting you and working with you, Jared. All right. Awesome, Thank Dr. You. Anderson. Thank you. And we're out. All right. Okay, man. Have a good Well, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Dr. Brett Anderson. Uh, I greatly appreciate his time, his expertise. He was an amazing guest. hope you got a lot out of that i know i did um and so i just want to thank him again for his time you can always come uh, check us out at mylc-mentalhealthcoach.com you can also check out our podcast here on spotify as well as other providers and always remember to say to yourself my life counts i'll see you next show peace